Corinthians chapter 6, there's a story about a guy, and they're in a difficult time. You ever notice that sometimes you feel like complete confidence? Like there's sometimes in life where you feel like you know where you're going, you know what you're doing, you know what you're supposed to be doing. It's kind of those times when things start to fall into place, and they're clicking, and you feel it, and it's like, oh man, the wind is at your back. You're accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish. And you just say, I know, I know I'm in God's will. Life can't really get any better. And all it takes sometimes is one phone call, one encounter, where we can oftentimes, we can go from feeling completely confident and knowing what we're supposed to be doing. And something happens, and we begin to question all kinds of things, Okay. We begin to question ourselves. We begin to question our calling. We begin to question our relationship with God. We begin to question pretty much everything, okay? Our message, our series is, who do you think you are? And so today, I want you to to look to the person next to you and say, I'm confident. Say, honestly, I really am. If you are not confident today, If you're in one of those situations where circumstances are rocking your world, and you're saying, well, yesterday I I knew who I was. Before this happened, I knew who I was. I knew what I was supposed to be doing. But since this has taken place, I'm struggling. Now, there's a guy in the book of Judges. He's out working. He's threshing grain. And an angel appears to him. And the angel appears to him and says... The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he's like, who is he talking to? The Lord is with me, mighty warrior. You know who that guy was? What's his name? Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So that's who God saw him as. The Lord says that the angel spoke to him and says, God's with you. He refers to him as a mighty warrior. You're a mighty warrior. And he looks around and says, who on earth is he talking to? If God is with me, why is all this junk happening to me? If God's really with me, and if I'm a mighty warrior, how comes I'm out here afraid and hiding? Why am I trying to protect this little bit of grain that we got? Why am I having to do this in a, kind of in a secret? Why do I have to do it here? If that's really true. And God begins to speak to him through this angel. And again and again, Gideon has to have reassurance from the Lord. Okay? Again and again, God reassures him. He says, well, if this is really true, wait here a minute while I go and get a sacrifice. This is crazy. Well, hang on a minute. You can read through what else takes place there. Again and again, God tells him that he's going to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon's like, are you sure, God? Okay, well, wait here, I want to see. So God displays a sign for him, consumes the sacrifice. Then, you know, the Gideon throws out the fleece. And he says, okay, God, if this is really you, I'm going to throw out this fleece. And, okay, it turned out good for me. Well, I'm still not sure, God. So let's do another fleece just in case I was wrong last night. I really want to make sure this is you talking to me. Gideon goes and he tears down the altar made to Baal. And Gideon goes and does it, but when does he do it? 
He does it at night, okay? Because he doesn't want people to see him, all right? He doesn't do it in the middle of the day. Here's the reality. I want you to understand that God works with us where we're at. And God sees you as you are. What he says about you is the truth. Even if you don't feel it at this moment, Gideon was going to have a great victory over the Midianites. God saw that. God knew it. God's prophet, in essence, he prophesied. He spoke that to him. And God is going to bring great victories into your life. God sees things about you. What he says about you is the truth. The difficult thing is, whenever we look at ourselves and we say, you know, God may call you holy. And you're like, but if I'm holy, then how comes I'm struggling with this? God may call me free, redeemed. And I may say, well, if I'm redeemed, he may call me the head and not the tail. And he may call me rich. And I may say, but if I'm rich, then how comes I'm struggling to pay the baby's diapers? If I'm so rich, why am I in that circumstance right now? Well, we're going to look at the Word of God today, and we're going to find out the reasons why you are confident. Okay, look at the person next to you say, really, I am confident. I want to encourage you today that, to know this, that you are confident, that you're sure, that you're secure, that you're convinced, that you're positive. But you say, Pastor, I don't really feel that way at this moment. Well, you have a good reason to. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says this to the church at Philippi. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The reason that you have for confidence today, why I'm telling you you are confident today, is because the one who began a good work in you is faithful. I want you to hear that again. Why are you confident today? Because the one who began a good work in you is faithful. Who started this work in your heart? Who was it that drew you to the Father? Who was it that began to woo and to turn your heart towards the Lord? It was not you. It was not your idea. It was not your thinking. It wasn't Pastor Joe. It wasn't me. The Lord is the one who began a good work in you. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Hear that in your heart today. God started to work in me. Here's the reality. There's times where I am not always so faithful, yet God remains faithful. You can be sure, secure, convinced, and positive because he is faithful. If you're born again, if you've invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he's the one who started the work in your life. As human beings, sometimes we waver. As human beings, sometimes we struggle with sin. We live in a fallen, sin-cursed world. The Apostle Paul talks about the struggle that we have in Romans chapter 6 and 7. He ends it by saying, the things I want to do, I can't seem to do. The things I know I shouldn't do, daggone it, those are the things I keep on doing. And he finishes up by saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who 
this body of death. Who's going to help me? I'm trapped. Here's the reality. Many times people don't want to hear this, but even after you've come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, even after you've asked him to come into your heart, there will be seasons in which you're like in the glory land way. There's other times where you're not in the glory land way. You're like getting hit by trucks. Okay? You're just in the way. It's like Satan comes after you with everything. You know, there's things that God's taken out of your life. And that you'll go sometimes for years and then Satan will bring up some of this garbage from the past. And he'll try to throw it on you. He'll put temptations in your way that you thought you had victory over. You're like, no, God changed my life. I don't want to go back there. And yet the enemy will put these temptations before you, and your heart will begin to long for those old ways. Pastors don't usually tell people that, but that's the reality. That's the reality of this walk. There are seasons that you go through that the enemy just throws things at you, and you're just like, God, you know, sometimes he wants you to look, have you really changed? Do you really love God? You say you love God, but your heart is drawn off here, and you're being tempted by these things. And sometimes your tension is, it feels like God is so very far away. And there's even times in which you go through that you'll begin to question, is this just all in my head? Have I just believed what my parents taught me? Have I believed what the pastor said? God, are you real? Or am I just telling myself this. And then in our spirits and our hearts, our minds will go back to those encounters that we've had with God. And we'll say, Lord, where else can I go? Because you have the words like, I know that you're real, God. I may not always be real, and you may not always be real, but we know that God is real. Okay? We may not always live up to what we know that God wants from us. But we know that he's real. And so the enemy comes at us in these seasons and in these times. And we need to have that assurance that although at times we are faithless, even when you're faithless, what's the word say he will be? He will remain faithful. So I can have confidence. I can stand with assurance because the one who I've entered into covenant with is faithful. But, Pastor, sometimes I'm so, my faith is so weak. Well, when your faith is weak, friend, his is strong. When you are at the end of yourself, he still has an untapped reservoir. And so our confidence is not so much in how strong we are or how faithful we are. Our confidence, first of all, is in the faithfulness of the one who started this work inside of me. Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So God is working in your life to both give you the desire and the ability to fulfill his purposes. The spirit that God placed in us is not a fearful, doubting spirit, but it's a spirit full of faith, a spirit full of confidence, a spirit full of joy. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, doubting, fearful, 
But if the Spirit of God flows in us, it gives us power, love, and self-discipline, or a sound mind. We used to sing a song when I was a kid, and they used to sing in a youth group. I'm sure many of you who went to church years ago. It was a chorus that said, It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. He lives, he lives. Jesus is alive in me. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Now you can have confidence today because Christ lives inside of you. Well, why should I feel confident, Pastor? I feel weak. Well, that's cool. That's all right. I'm telling you why you have reason for confidence today is because the Spirit of Christ lives in you. Listen to what this portion of Scripture says. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 tells us that I'm born of God, and that the evil one cannot touch me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I can have confidence today. You can have confidence today because everywhere you go, the Spirit of God dwells and lives inside of you. That old song that we used to sing, it's no longer I that lives. That's the reality of our lives. Christ lives in you. You are dead to sin, the Scripture says, but you've been made alive to God through Christ. We need to understand what God has done in the spirit realm. So I have confidence today, and you have confidence today, because God dwells inside of you. Every place that you go, the Spirit of God goes with you. You take him everywhere you go. Every person you encounter, the Spirit of God encounters because Christ lives and abides inside of you. You can have confidence today, thirdly, because God has set his seal of ownership upon you. He's mine. She's mine. That's what God says. And the word says that he's placed his seal upon us. So we become gods. We belong to him. When something is yours, when it's your wife or your husband or your kids, you have a responsibility to them. And God the Father has a responsibility to us since he has placed his seal of ownership upon us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Now, who is Paul writing to? Paul is writing, the Corinthian church was a very charismatic church. The gifts of the Spirit would be in operation. They were very zealous for those things. There were some areas where they didn't do so well at. They were a very carnal group of people. There were members of the congregation of the group who were immoral and struggling with sin. They were cheap. Paul had to go to them and say to them, we're like, they're the guys who are dancing all the time, but when the offering plate went by, they didn't put anything in. They're like, woo, woo, woo. Paul has to say to them, hey, about the offering that we talked about. Hey, we're going to help these folks in Jerusalem out. I just want to remind you again, I've taken from others to serve you. I want to remind you. So they thought they were really spiritual. 
But deep down, they understood that they were carnal. They were kind of self-centered. They fought a lot amongst themselves. And to this group of people, these humans who struggle, they weren't the perfect church. They weren't the perfect Christian. To this group of people, Paul writes to them, and he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God has set his seal upon you, my friend. He's marked you as his. It is as if he brands you. He puts his label on you. He puts his seal upon you that you belong to him. They're mine. I've purchased them with my blood. And so he puts his seal upon you. But notice what else he does. The scripture says this. God says to you today, I have more than I'm going to do in your life and in your heart. Here is the earnest money. Here is the down payment to show that I'm serious about you and the work that I'm going to do in you. I'm going to put my spirit in your heart as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come down the road. So the fact of you being saved or born again and God sealing you and giving you the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you is just the beginning. God says that the Holy Spirit is a part of the down payment, guaranteeing what is to come. If you're going to sell something, there's a lot of times you want to sell something. Maybe you want to sell a house or you have a vehicle to sell. Whenever someone's serious, there's a lot of people who will call you up and say, well, you want $100, would you take 20 It's like, no, I won't take 20 If you're going to sell something, if someone's serious and they want to buy your house, I'm not taking my house off the market because you say, I like your house. I'll take my house off the market when you put down the money. You know what I mean? And actually, I'm not taking my house off the market. I'm not t- If I'm selling my house, I'm not taking it off the market until you close the deal. I might make an agreement with you, but I'm still keeping my options open. God says, here's the down payment to show you that I'm serious about what I'm doing in your life. I'm going to seal you. I'll put my seal on you, and I'll give you my spirit, and it will be the promise of what is yet to come. Friends, God has just gotten started in your life. And those of you who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and, and been filled with the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit flowing through you, that's just the beginning of what God wants to do. That's just the down payment of what God has for you in the future. That's just a sign from God of what He's starting and what He's going to complete. Jude verse 24, To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Today, why else can you have confidence? You can have confidence because you are free from condemnation. Go to the person next to you. Say, I'm free from condemnation. In Romans 6 and 7, it talks about this battle that we have with sin. And, oh, wretched man I am, who will save me? The things I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. The things I'm supposed to do, I can't seem to fulfill them. Who's going to rescue me? And what's the next verse? Romans chapter 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life 
has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by your flesh, God did, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What the law was powerless to do then that was weakened by the sinful nature, God did in sending his son Jesus. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be partially met in us now, that they might be fully met in us. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus? That's what the scripture says. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who suffered and was sacrificed and was crucified? No. The enemy, that's his job to condemn. The word says that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation. So what that means is when the enemy comes to you and he brings up the accusations of your past and he brings up all your faults and all of your inadequacies and all of the places where you fall short of fulfilling the law, when he brings those up, Jesus steps up. The word says he's our advocate to the Father. He steps before the Father on our behalf. And the Bible says that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. So every time the enemy steps up and points out one of your faults or one of your inadequacies or one of the places where you have fallen short or brings up the things from your past, you need, I need to understand that the blood of Jesus is strong enough and powerful enough to cover the most despicable thing you have done. Let's be honest. In a room this size, we have people who have done despicable things. It's just honest. There's things that if we look in this room, we would say, no, if you would tell your story, most people would have despicable things that they regret and they are sorrowful for and they're discouraged about and depressed about. The blood of Jesus, listen to me, no matter how dark your sin or how ashamed of it you are, the blood of Jesus is powerful enough. If you are telling me, if you say to me, Pastor, his blood is not enough, you have no idea of the sacrifice that he made upon Calvary. His blood is enough. It's more than enough. He was the overpayment for your sin and for mine. And so when the enemy comes and brings accusations against us, when we listen to his lies, we're saying, Jesus, your blood's not enough. Your sacrifice on Calvary was not enough. It, somehow it was inadequate. The word says that there's no condemnation. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus says, hey, where's your accusers? And she says, they're gone. What does he say? Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And so we have to have this understanding that Jesus does not condemn us. The Father does not condemn us. Jesus paid the price for our sin. And as believers, when we come into relationship with him, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So whenever those accusing thoughts come to your mind and those nagging thoughts and those doubts, if you place it under the blood of Jesus, you know it's a lie from the enemy. Why else should you have confidence? Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? With confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. 
You can have confidence today because God is working all things together for your good. But wait a minute. I lost my job. You can have confidence. God's working all things together for your good. Someone criticized me. A friend turned on me. I'm facing a difficult time in my relationships. What's his word say? Let me read it to you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things. Even the ugly things. Even the disappointments. Even the setbacks. Do you realize this? God does not cause you to sin. But when you sin, even in your sin, God can take your sin. He didn't cause it. He doesn't want you to. He can use even your faults and your failures. And he has the ability to turn those things around and work something out for your good. And once again, he's not the author of that. He didn't get you to make that mistake. In all things, God works for the good. He's always working for your good. He's always maneuvering for your good. For those who have been called according to his purposes. Listen to this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And in the assemblies of God, we don't talk a whole lot about predestination because we're, wait a minute, this is what the word says though. Those he foreknew because God knew in advance. We don't believe in predestination that, okay, well you're going to hell and uh, you have no choice. You have nothing to do with this. You're just going to go to hell. Uh, you're going to go to heaven. You have no choice. No, that's not, that's not the way it is. This is what it says. Those, listen, those he foreknew that God saw through eternity. And he knew, he knew that whenever he called you, that your heart would turn towards him. Those he foreknew, he predestined. What did he predestine? To be conformed into the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn of our many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also, what does he do? Justified. He justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see, my friends, God is at work. And whatever your circumstances are, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You can be assured of this. God is always working for your good. His desire is that you be shaped into the image of his son. His desire is that you be glorified. That's his ultimate goal in your life. And so you may go through some difficult times, but I want you to know this. You can be confident that even when you're stubborn and hard-hearted and doing your own thing, God is still at work for your good. He's for you, not against you. He has your best interest at heart. Finally, you can have confidence today because you're more than a conqueror. And no outside force can ever separate you from his love. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says this. Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is the deal. A lot of people view themselves as like maybe at the last minute, by the skin of their teeth, like a Hail Mary. They're hoping that at the last minute and over time, maybe perhaps, maybe perchance, they'll be able to throw up a Hail Mary and just maybe get their hands on the ball as the time runs out. They'll win by one point. Okay? That's not the way it is. The scripture says, 
Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We're going to have a blowout. That's what God has for us. A blowout. He, he doesn't want us just to catch the Hail Mary at the end of the game in overtime in a few seconds and, oh, I got it. Wow, luckily I made it in hell. He says, no, all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. What does he say? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, none and all these things. Are those things going to be able to separate us from the love of God? No. We have confidence because you're more than a conqueror. Whether you understand it, whether you believe it or not, that's what God says that you are. He says you're more than a conqueror. And he says that those difficulties that you go through, that they won't be able, that the demonic powers of hell will not be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can have assurance because God's the one who started this work in us. As we're closing, I just want to hit you with those one more time. Why can you have confidence? Because the one who began a good work in you is faithful. Please get your attention. I know we have to look at ourselves. But please turn your attention to the one who started this work in you. That's why we can have confidence. You can have confidence today because Christ lives inside of you. You can have confidence today because God has set his seal of ownership upon you. And he's given you his spirit as a deposit. You can have confidence today because you're free from condemnation. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You can have confidence today because God is working all things together for your good. And you can have confidence today because you're more than a conqueror through him who has loved you. And no outside force will ever be able to separate you from his love. As we close, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you'll know how wide and high and deep is the love that God has for you. Now, here's the thing. These promises, these reasons for confidence, they are the privilege of those who have allowed Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. That's a privilege that comes from being a part of his family. He offers it to whosoever will may come. Whoever will may come. He makes that offer available. But if someone does not want to receive him, he doesn't force them. And so today, before we close, I want to pray for you that God today is inviting people to be a part of his family. He says, all of these things, all of these promises that I have, this no condemnation stuff, this working everything out for your good, it's available to whosoever will. So before we go any further, I just wanted to take a minute. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And, and Father, I just pray today. That within the sound of my voice, I pray if there's people here today who struggle, who just say, I don't have that confidence today, Pastor. I know I'm not in the right place with God, and I would really like to get right with God today. I'd really like to know those promises and have it be mine. If you're here today, you'd like me to pray with you, and just pray for you today, and, and today, right now, you can know 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that your sins have been forgiven and that you have peace with God. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying for all of my sins. I could never pay my debt. I could never be made right with God without you. And so today, I put my faith in what you did on the cross of Calvary. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again. I believe that you ascended to the right hand of the Father and that you ever live to make intercession for me. I ask you today to forgive me, to cleanse me, to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me and for forgiving me. I make you my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's the deal. If you pray that and you mean that in your heart, the Bible says that all of heaven stops. All of heaven stops and begins to rejoice. All of heaven. God has placed his seal upon you. He's called you his own. As that takes place, now for the rest of you as a congregation, I'm going to ask you that you'll begin to get into the Word and listen to what God says about you. He says you're mine. Well, the enemy says that you're no good. The enemy says you've not changed. The enemy says you'll never be different. The enemy says that God doesn't want you, that, that you're a hypocrite. You need to get into the Word and listen to what God says about you. Because what's going to happen is you begin to understand that God says you are, it doesn't matter what other people think, because you know what he said. He says you're mine. I purchased you with my blood, and nothing, no one will be able to steal you out of my hand. That's what he says. He says you belong to him. As we leave here, here's the reality, as I understand who I am, I can face the challenges of life with confidence, because we're Spirit lives inside of me. He's put his down payment on me, put his spirit in me. So as you leave here, I just want to encourage you to get in the Word, listen to what God says, repeat those verses to yourself over and over again. Allow your mind to be renewed. And what you'll find is that our actions, it's crazy. When you change the way you think, it really changes the way that you act and live. It just changes everything. But the reality of it is, is God's starting his work in you. And he's not going to let you go until he completes it. Thank you, Father, that we can be here together. I thank you, God, that you give us confidence. You give us courage. You give us boldness. I thank you, Lord, that we've got some Gideons here in this room. They're going to go and defeat the enemies that stand in their way. God, you got some people here. You put your seal on them. You have great things in store for them. Great exploits for God. And I pray that they would go out of here and accomplish the work that God has called them to. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.